Thank you for tuning in to Trevor Talks Podcast, where we talk to real people about real topics and real stories. Today's guest is a living legend in Christian music. Not only has he had more number one hits to count, but he's written songs that have been empowering the local church around the globe for over three decades. Aside from all the amazing accomplishments, including Grammy Awards, Dove Awards, and many others that he has achieved in his life, he has a story to support it, and he's here to share it with us today. Ladies and gentlemen, here is my interview with Michael W. Smith. Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. I appreciate it very much. Yeah, I saw you at a life fest a few weeks ago, and you, uh, there wasn't a roof to tear down, but if there was, I mean, some clouds parted, and it did not rain on you like it did the last night. So it was an yeah. amazing how we got to catch that. It was good. It was good to just jump in my car and drive out there and do that thing. It was great. <laughs> I bet. And how did it feel to be doing live music again, especially in Nashville? Well, long overdue. You know, but yeah, hey, and, I, and I've been fortunate to be out to do a couple other things. But yeah, to, in Nashville, it was great to be out. It was great to look out there and see friends. And and uh, I'm glad that they decided to come and bring that festival to Tennessee. I think it's the only Christian festival that's ever mm-hmm. been in Tennessee. I mean, it's so yeah. probably long overdue. And it's wild. It was on uh, Johnny Cash's farm, quite yeah. out in the boondocks, hideaway yeah. farms, and uh, they're going to do it next year. So God's moving through that. And it's super awesome that you were able to jump in and be able to help them launch that thing off. But I really want to dive into some parts of your story that not many people have heard before. And of course, starting with your dad, which you just wrote the book, mapping yeah. out kind of his legacy and the impressions that he had on your life and you becoming the man you are today. So if you're up for it, um, I'd really like to start with, like, if you can map out your dad in three words, what would those three words be to explain him? Oh, my gosh. Three words. Uh, kind. Um, consistent. And joy. Mm. Those are three heavy traits. <laughs> I had to really think it, think that one quickly. It's hard to do that with my dad. It's take only three words, but boy, his glass was always half full. He was just an amazing human being. Yeah, Kindest man I'd ever known who happened to be my dad. So. Amen, man. And uh, you mapped all this out in The Way of the Father, which is your new book. And it's really unique to have a son map out his dad's legacy. Usually it's everybody trying to have a book written about them. And you're like, you know what? My dad had such a good impression on me that I want to map this into a book. So tell us a little bit about your dad and some of the things that he taught you growing up and how they helped you become who you are today. Yeah. Well, as I said, kind of the three words, he was, he was kind. He was, he loved my mom. Well, to watch him just, it being in well, my mom and dad were in love. They just were, they just loved each other. Period. It was amazing to watch that relationship all growing up, the way he treated my sister and I growing up, the way he served his community. When he moved to Nashville, he's involved in the homeless community. Uh, I vividly remember all these times we'd have dinner at our house with all the grandkids who's in there washing the dishes. My dad, you know, he just, he just was, he just was a servant. His whole life it was never about him. And and then to watch him, which I talk a lot about in the book, it talks a lot about baseball, which is, was our great love for the sport and something we had in common, and to watch how he would coach us. And his love for us was never based on performance. 
you know, just just loved us. He always just encouraged us. You know, if we lost, but I remember I think the start out the book about this crazy story about us, you know, having sixteen games, we lost the first fifteen. We were awful. You know, and he came in that dugout, he going, Boys, we'll get him next time, you know. Let's go to Dairy Queen. If you if you want a game, you got to go to Dairy Queen. And we went to Dairy Queen fifteen times and we got an hour. You, <laughs> you know, just but just positive and just like I said, his glass always half full, lots of joy, smiled and laughed every day of his life. Yeah. And so, you know, I know he had his faults, but I didn't see very many of them. You know, the only time I would see him kind of get upset was when my songs wouldn't go number one or if I didn't win the Grammy. He couldn't, he just couldn't figure that out. I'm going, Dad, all my songs can't go number one. And he would say things like, well, why not, son? You're the best. You know, he just sort of, he was my PR agent. There you go. <laughs> yeah. That's so, hard job. yeah. And it's just, but, but, but what a great man. And so I've, all these things I've learned from my dad, how to do life. I'm hopefully doing that for my kids and my grandkids, you know? So I find myself doing things that my dad, just his, his little mannerisms, you know, he'd say hi to everybody. I mean, you don't do that in today's culture. My dad said hi to everybody. He just wave hand, wave. And I find myself going down the road waving at people. <laughs> mm. He and, wouldn't have enjoyed this pandemic then. No shaking oh, hands. Oh, I know. Golly, he would have. He'd have struggled. So, and and he instilled in you that servant's heart. You've been serving the local church around the globe for so long, and that all started at home. You learned that mindset from your mom and your dad, and. How are you instilling that in your grandkids? What are some ways that you're teaching them and even your kids? Hey, be good to people, love people. You're never over anyone. Show them Christ's love. And you beautifully explained uh, while you're explaining about your dad, the love of God, like he, it's not based on works. It was based on how you love and your genuine spirit. So how are you implementing that in your grandkids and your children? Well, you try to teach them that, obviously, but I'm telling you what, they watch what you do more than what you say. Mm. And that's what I loved about my dad. You know, my, my dad, and, and when he did good for all, all that stuff, he did for people. He never boasted about it, never said anything about it. He just did it. He just, if there's a need, he just did it, you know. So um, so your kids are going to watch you. What 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 are they they're going to watch what I'm doing with my business or how I treat people or how I treat people at the grocery store. If we're out and about, you know, they're, they're watching those kind of things. You know, you can, you can preach at them all day long, but they're watching what you do. And so hopefully I can, I can be that force of nature that my dad was for me. Hopefully I can be that for my kids and grandkids. I already see what my kids have learned from my mom and dad, you know, uh, cause my mom just went to heaven 30 days ago and I just, you know, she was just, I could write a book about my mom. Uh, but I watch and can see a lot of my mom and dad and my five kids. Mm. Yeah. They love granddaddy and Mimi. They loved my mom and dad and my mom, mom and dad had a profound impact on my, on my children. Wow. Leading by example, it's running through the Smith family tree there. And, um, 
growing up, were you always like inclined musically or is this something that you got from your parents or you just kind of found yourself on a piano somewhere? Where did that all start for you? Well, I grew up in a musical family. We were involved in church. We were in church choir. We were there all the time. Uh, we lived with my grandmother my whole life. Uh, and we had, and she was a church organist and a church one block from the church that we went to. And we had a little upright piano in our house. And I watched my grandmother play. And when she wasn't playing, I'd just jump on the piano and start beating around on it, you know. And I think I wrote my first song when I was five. It was awful. But the fact that I wrote something, you know, and then I remember when I was like eight, nine, ten, I forgot what, what it was, is I played Let It Be for my mom and dad. And there was no sheet music in the house for Let It Be. And they go, how'd you do that? I go, well, I just heard it, you know. And so I realized at a young age that I could play by ear. And at the same time, I was being a musician, I was a jock. I was playing baseball with my dad, you know, and then 15 years of age, I did make the all-stars for the first time. And I realized that, that I felt like beyond a shadow of a doubt that God was calling me into this world of music. And remember, it's the second time I ever walked down the aisle. First time I was 10 when I had an encounter with Jesus. And then 15, I went down and told Stan Franklin, my pastor about, I think God's called me into music. I don't know. I don't know what the rules are. I don't know how to get there. Would you pray for me? And he laid hands on me and prayed for me. Wow. Yeah. And um, you got your first like career start. You were playing piano with Amy Grant. Is that correct? Yeah, I was in a couple of little groups before that. But the the, the real break came. Um, I was I was in the middle of working on my first album, and then but Amy and I got to be friends. I wrote for her on her Age Age record, and she asked if I would come out and lead her band on the Age Age tour. So that was the spring of 1982, and then in the fall of '82, I'd finished my record and I actually opened up for Amy. I sang four songs, and we ended the night with friends every night. So fall of '82, all of '83, I did the Straight Ahead tour, which is end of 83 and 84 and that's all that's how it all kind of kicked off and it seemed like her audience gravitated toward my music and yeah i wouldn't i don't think i'd be having this interview if it hadn't been for amy honestly wow and it's the same thing for bart millard mercy me y'all were a big part of that story that's crazy Um, they had Uh, sold i could or signed over the rights for I can only imagine she's like nah you got to do it so she's kind of been that person to help network people into the music industry like the Holy Spirit's given obviously given her and yourself a really keen understanding of networking and helping other people out and that's amazing to hear how you've been a part of other people's story but someone invested in you up front and um, was it playing music or writing music that was like the first thing where you were like okay I can really do this for a living well, it was probably playing. I mean, obviously, but I was, but I was also writing songs. And then I also realized that probably if I had to pick something that was the most important, it was the song. Mm. You can, you can have an okay voice and be very successful. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm one to relate to that. You know what I'm saying? I'm not a great singer. You know, I, I just got through working with Andre Bocelli in Italy together, you know, and I, I, I stand beside him. And you try to sing with Andre Bocelli. It's like, whoa, this is a whole other level, you know. But if you got the song, if you have the song, then 
you can have a pretty amazing career. And I've just been fortunate to be able to ride a few of those. And, and it's propelled me into places that I never, ever thought I would be, you know? So, and singing songs that you didn't think you really have to sing for the rest of your entire life, like, like friends, you know, or even place in this world. I never get tired of singing that song because of the thousands and thousands of letters and stories of people who, had a massive encounter with Christ through that song that not only ended up on Christian radio, but pop radio. Yeah. It was a crossover hit. It was almost like for my generation. Now we have like Lauren Daigle need to breathe switchfoot and still Michael W. Smith. And it's like, how did they cross over into that other genre and et cetera? And we were talking to David Crowder a few weeks ago and he was like doing music and getting paid to do it is like winning the lottery. It just, yeah it doesn't happen for everybody. And it's obviously down to your anointing and what God wants to do for your life and hearing people introduce you being like, this dude's been impacting the church on a global scale for decades. Now, is that still surreal to hear? Did you ever think like, Oh, God's got this for me. Was it a confirmation that you got through a prophetic word or just God giving you a vision? Or was it just like, I'm going to chase this thing and I'm not going to stop until I get there. No, I think it was more of a, I mean, I think it's more of a calling, you know, you're called to do this and it was never driven by, I, I want to be successful. It was never driven going, I want money and I want fame. It was never any of that. It was just, this is my sweet spot. This is my gift, you know? And so how do you use this to further the kingdom? And then, and then you just pray for downloads, you know? What, 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 what is the next record? What's that next record look like? What do I need to write about? What does this record need to sound like? You know, let me, let me create whatever that product is. Say it's 1995. Let it be absolutely perfect for what's going on in the world. You know, let me write a song that can completely change somebody's life, you know, and then you get to these instrumental records, you know, I'm going to do an instrumental record, you know, why not? You know, but I felt like I was supposed to do it. And then all of a sudden, 2001, you're, you're making your first all vertical record, a record called Worship, that actually came out on 9-11 and was a go-to record for millions of people all around the world, you know, especially America, um, with all that happened. You know, so it's just trying to sort of like you just want to be able to hear God. You want to be able to whatever that creation is, you just want it to be what God wants you to do. So I'm sure I've missed it a few times, you know, uh, I sure hope I've, I've hit the mark more than not. So believe me, I've, sh- I've, hit, I've written my share of bad songs that <laughs> I hope I never have to sing for the rest of my entire life, but yeah. I won't mention those. So, yeah. But if you look at it, like from an outsider's perspective, like I can't remember how long I've heard your name. So like even I called my mom when we booked this interview, I was like, what? Like, uh, and she's like, this dude's like a global superstar and all this stuff. But it, it doesn't seem like that. Even just having a conversation and just hearing how God has used you to impact, like I said, the global church. They sing your songs all around the world. And you would never be able to tell that if I walked into you at Frothy Monkey in Franklin or wherever, these random spots, I would never know if I didn't know who you were. And you keep it humble. You keep, I've seen you around people. You're super respectful. And it, like you said, it's never been about the money and it shows. 
it definitely shows. So for the up and coming musicians and people that think that they may be called to do this for the rest of their life, where would you start if you were to have to start all over here in 2021? Hopefully we're at the tail end of a pandemic. If things don't, we're not going to get in that, you know, <laughs> if yeah. we were, if you were starting in 2021 in this position, where would you start? Well, I would probably start out the way I started out a long time ago. I mean, but the, but the way to get music to people and promotion and trying to figure out all that, that's a whole different, that whole thing looks completely different than it did 30, 40 years ago. You know, um, you know, there's a different way of, about doing things now. It's still all about the song though, to me. I mean, it's still about, if you got a great song, it's going to find its way into people's lives. It will find a way if it's a great song. Um, somebody's going to hear it. Somebody's going to want to sign it. Uh, on a personal level, I would, I wish I could just go back in the early days of my career and just drive it into my head and heart going, it's not about you. You know, and I think when you're young, you're young in the faith and you become successful, you get, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And how many t-shirts did we sell? My number one and all that stuff. And, then, and now you guys go, oh, what was that? All that stuff doesn't matter. Just, it doesn't matter. So to me, um, it's just what's your posture? What's your motivation? You know, I, I always tell these young artists going, it's all about humility, you know. You know, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And believe me, you want to take care of the job because it's no fun when he has to do it. <laughs> yeah. And I've been humbled a few times, you know. So, but it's just, it's just your hands are wide open. You go, here I am, God. This is this is your thing, and God direct me. Keep uh, you know, keep me from temptation to think this is about me. Whatever, whatever applause comes my way, let me deflect the glory and. I think if you can have that kind of posture, man, he can do anything through you. You know, I really believe that. True, that is so true. And uh, is there a time that you could recall that you were heading down the wrong direction or about to make a stupid decision, and your dad or your mom were there to say, "Hey, I." And what was that life lesson? How did you get back on track? Well, I was probably more. I think probably more of that was when I was going through my crazy four years of walking away from the Lord. I was a prodigal. Um, and that was extremely difficult. I've been, I'm just uh, on some level, I'm very fortunate to be alive. You know, I was doing drugs and making a lot of bad choices. Cool thing was my mom and dad never condemned me. They never raised their voices at me. It was just, I was met with kindness and love. Um, I do remember, which I do talk about in the book, when I came home from Nashville to get some money and to visit for a little bit, my dad took me on the front porch and and he, I just remember him going, son, you're going to have to pull it together. Cause he knew. He didn't know to the extent, which I'm really glad he didn't. He knew I was in trouble and he knew that if I didn't pull it together and I knew this as well, that I might very well lose my life. And I knew that was not my destiny. There was a credible 
calling of God on my life. And I think Satan was trying to snuff me out. That's what I really believe. And so I'm, I'm having this interview with you today, probably because the prayers of my mom and dad Mm. that saved my life. Yeah. How old were you when you got into drugs? 17. 17. So this was 17 to 20, 17, 21. So this has been 1975 to 79. Wow. And then I almost kind of near drug overdose. The deal. Even when I talk about it, it sounds so weird. It's like, what was I doing? I mean, I, I got deceived. I just got deceived. And when that, that whole incident happened, I knew that something needed to change because I thought I'm going to die if something doesn't change. And so, that's when I began to pray that God would do whatever he had to do to get my attention. And my mom and dad were praying the same thing. And so it all, I hit rock bottom. I, I literally hit rock bottom November of 1979, sprawled out on my linoleum floor in my kitchen in East Nashville. And I convulsed and I cried and I shook and I twisted. and It's like I was having a seizure, whatever, for three and a half hours. And then I just sort of just, I remember everything just went, you know, my whole body was just sort of like exhausted. And I remember Abba just laying down on the floor beside me with his arm around me. And I haven't been the same since that night. I literally, it was a 180. Were you able to quit cold turkey after that? I did. Mm. It's crazy. Wow. Yeah. 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 I remember the next day I got a call. I got it with this publisher, Randy Cox. He said, because I remember waking up the next day being somewhat tempted to go back out, but I knew something happened to me. Go, God, what was that? And I remember going, Lord, just give me a, give me a, give me a sign. Give me, I need another rescue today. And I remember going into my publisher and he, Randy, and he, and he brings me in. He, hey, I want to talk to you about something. Going, there's this group, uh, a little gospel group called Higher Ground, and they're looking for a piano player. And I went, I'll take the job. And he said, well, you, do you not want to meet him? No, I'll take the job. I mean, I, I, I thought oh, that's my rescue. Mm-hmm. And I joined that band. And for eight months, they nurtured me back to health spiritually. Come on. Yeah. And so pretty, so pretty many amazing. people get deceived in that way where they're like, Oh, I'll just take one hit of this. I'll just do that. Like, I'm only going to do it temporarily. I just want to have some fun. And then they just keep getting roped in and roped in. Spiral down. It becomes your, it's an addiction. It's a epidemic. Yeah. Dang. Like God brought you out of that. And he's brought, he's delivered so many people from drug addiction and sex addiction. And I mean, we see church leaders fall. We see normal people fall at the end of the day. We're all human. We're not, um, we're not exempt from the struggles of this world. But God's always there. And just to hear you say that is it's going to impact so many people. And he brought you from drug addiction. He took you where you were, gave you that job for eight months. And he had the right people in mind for you. Yeah. No, it was was a sweet time. And I'm indebted to them for the rest of my life. And then. Then I got came back, I got off the road, got my first songwriting contract, and all of a sudden I ended up in a room with Amy Grant writing songs for the Age Stage record, you know. So just and you know, you you look back at all that and you go, you can't orchestrate that stuff, you know. It's just yeah. you just all of a sudden 
you meet that person, you meet that person, all of a sudden, oh, I'm here. Then all of a sudden, I'm at this record company, and this girl walks by, and I fall in love at first sight, you know, and I end up marrying her, you know, which we celebrate 40 years of marriage uh, in September this month, you know. Five kids, 16 grandkids. Congratulations. I'd hate to see the Christmas bill on that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's crazy. You've you've had quite the life, and I knew going into this, I if you people want to hear about the Grammy Awards, if they want to hear about the accolades, they can go listen to another interview. Um, this wasn't it. Like this was a real conversation. Hearing how God's lifted you out of that, hearing how your parents raised you to become the man you are today, and um, the one thing that I really wanted to touch on before we close out is the new film that you're a part of, Jesus Music, the Irwin yeah. Brothers. Tell us a little bit about that and what we can expect from that. It's an amazing film. I mean, it's, um, it's never been told on the big screen. I think 99% of the people who see this film will be astonished and realize how much they did not know on how this whole thing started. Mm. Um, really from the 60s, late 60s, and Vietnam, and civil unrest, and the racial thing, all that. And then LSD and drugs, and it just and the heroes are Jimi Hendrix and Janis Joplin and Jim Morrison. They all die, you know, and, and it's kind of a living hell, honestly. Mm. And then there's this guy, this hippie guy preaching at Calvary Chapel. And he's preaching to the hippies and the hippies get saved <laughs> and they're all playing music. So they don't stop playing music. They just change their lyrics, you know, and they're within six months. We've got six bands or 12 bands. And all of a sudden here comes love song and Larry Norman and Randy Stone. Hill. all of a sudden here comes Rondé Crouch, Phil Kagey all through the seventies. And I had all those records changed wow. my life. Wow. Changed, changed my life. So, but that's so being an executive producer, Amy Grant and myself were executive producers, which was really a joy to be a part of. I've been watching this film for a year, um, trying to take myself out of it. You know, I, I, you know, I don't need to be in it. You know, you just, but there's so much to cover. I mean, how do you tell the whole story about the Jesus music in an hour and 50 minutes? It's really difficult. I think this thing will end up being a 12 hour documentary at some point, but <laughs> it, it really is you're captivated. It's very captivating. And everybody we've played it for, you know, the critics and people, they all, they are all saying, we really believe you all have something here. So Irwin brothers, who did, I can only imagine, uh, it's, it's their film. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a good one hour and 15 minutes that I don't think you'll ever forget, especially if you love this genre of music, if you love Christian music. Yeah. I think it's going to light you up, and, it, and, it, and it's the it's the good, and it's, it's it's some of the not so good. You know, you've got to be honest, and you know, there's there's struggle. There's you know, you'll find that bands and some artists who went through stuff. You you, you see some of that, which I think makes it real. It makes it real and authentic. And I think you'll. I think people will come away grateful, but really compassionate on all their favorite artists that they love in this genre. So, wow. 
maybe a newfound respect there. And people have to realize Christian artists are not God. They're human. They make mistakes. Even evangelists like preachers, nobody's exempt from sin. Some people are better at hiding it than others, but you're never too far gone for God. And I'm, I'm super thrilled to see that film. We're going to put the link in the description below along with the link for your new book and also your Apple music, Spotify and everything. But Michael, just thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to be here. It's truly been an honor and I can't wait for people to be able to dive in a little bit more on your story. Hopefully go pick up the book, stream some music and uh, dive into a rabbit hole of encouragement, which is your life story. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for, having, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. Thanks again. And thank you to New Release Today for making this episode happen. And uh, y'all be sure to check out all of the links in the description. A lot of stuff. Jesus music, the new book, music, everything's going to be in there. And we'll talk to you guys next week. The content we feed our minds will eventually show up in our lives. If we feed our minds the lies and confusion of this world, our lives will begin to reflect worldliness. But if we feed our minds the truth of the gospel, our lives will start to reflect the heart and character of Jesus. I'm John Stonge, and each week I host the Dwell on These Things podcast, where we take a deep look at the Word of God and learn what it means to apply it to our lives. We don't skip difficult passages, and we don't gloss over the truth. If you're looking for a show that will put your mind in a better place and help you understand God's Word with more clarity, you can listen to the Dwell on These Things podcast at lifeaudio.com or on your favorite podcasting app.